Welcome to Cleveland Clinic Cardiac Consult, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Thank you so much for um, inviting me to talk about this fairly broad topic, the aortopathies. So aortopathies are a group of disorders that are characterized by dilation and aneurysms of the aorta that ultimately can, again, can lead to catastrophic complications of dissection or rupture. And we'll briefly summarize what are the etiologies of the aortopathies, and then we'll quickly jump into athletes. So when we think about aortopathies, the most common things that come to mind are genetic syndromes. Uh, that includes a host of many different genetic conditions, with most prominent being Marfan syndrome, lewis syndrome, vascular ehlers syndrome, and heritable thoracic aortic disease, Turner syndrome, and autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease. Bicuspid aortic valve, one of the most common adult congenital heart conditions. Uh, inflammatory vasculitis that includes um, tachyosis, giant cell bichettes, or um, um, arteritis associated with ankylosing spondylitis. And there are multiple other uh, conditions such as atherosclerosis and syphilis and um, infectious aortitis and previous dissection. So if you look at the genetic aortic aneurysm syndromes, uh, multiple genetic um, abnormalities have been detected in these patients. The most common of which that I see in my clinic is Marfan syndrome with the fibrillin gene mutations. The next most common are the group of conditions under the broad umbrella of Lewis Dietz syndrome with multiple different um, genetic mutations, most common of which being in TGFBR1, TGFBR2, SMAT3, and TGFBD2. Um, we are learning more about these and, and identifying more mutations within these genes. Uh, the next group is the uh, vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome with genetic mutations in CO3A1 gene. And the last group uh, is the heterogeneous group of heritable thoracic aortic disease with mutations involving multiple um, genes, including ACT2, MYH11, um, MYLK, and also PRKG1. So if we look at what are the most common, common associated risk factors for aortopathies, three, three things come really close. Uh, one is hypertension, smoking, and age of the patient. Um, so in general, uh, as patients get into their fifth, sixth, and seventh decades of life, you do see the aortas do tend to get larger. Um, and that's something that we take into account when we see patients in their 80s coming in with an aorta that's 4.2 centimeters. You know, it could very well be the upper limit of normal for that patient. So let's switch now gears to talking about etiologies to what happens with um, aortic dilatation in athletes. These are a few studies that looked at um, athletes, and then also specifically we're going to focus on you know, high-intensity athletes as well as in the NBA and the NFL. So this was a study in uh, progressing um, cardiovascular diseases in 2012, looking at about 2,317 athletes with about 1,300 males and about 1,000 females. The most important thing to look at is what is the 99th percentile in these in this study, um, and that corresponds to about 40 millimeters in males and 34 millimeters in females. And if you look at the percentage of that, it's only about 1.3%. So it's a very, very small percentage that we see the aortic dilatation, which would reach the point of being more uh, pathologic. How about professional NBA players? Again, this is an observational study of active NBA players. Um, they looked at about 526 athletes. Only 4.6% had an aortic root more than uh, 40 millimeters. And they didn't see any difference in age or blood pressure between athletes uh, with smaller, largest aortic root diameter. And aortic root diameter per unit of BSA was different for aortic roots more than 40 millimeters, uh, suggesting body size was not, again, body size was not the determining factor to explain the increased aortic root dimension. And again, higher proportion of aortic root dimension patients 
had mitral block prolapse, suggesting possible maybe there is some genetic connection between the two uh, that led to higher proportion of the mitral block prolapse. How about in retired NFL linemen? This is one of the studies I'm looking at a cross-section study of um, uh, where they use non-contrast CT mid-level ascending uric dimensions of 206 former NFL players um, with a mean age of about 53 years. Um, the mean ascending diameter is significantly larger in formal NFL athletes with 38 millimeters um, compared to 34 millimeters. Again, just like I showed you previously, what are the most common associated conditions? Again, age, blood pressure, hypertension, body surface area, uh, they're independently predictive of uh, aortic diameter. And how about the master's endurance athletes? Uh, this study was published in JAMA. I'm looking at echo evaluation of aortic size in master's male and female athletes. And again, these are older um, adults, 50 to 75 years, with more than two decades of exercise exposure. Uh, they took four and 42 athletes with an average age of 61, predominantly male, uh, equally distributed among rowers and runners. 21% uh, of them had a sinus of Alsalva or ascending aorta measuring 40 plus millimeters in these patients. And 105 athletes had uh, a Z-score of two or greater. And this just shows the distribution and it, there's more of a rightward shift in those high intensity um, endurance athletes. And it's possibly suggesting that a long-term participation in competitive endurance sport may be a risk factor for acquired ascending aortic dilatation. So what are the implications of dilated aortas? Um, so the possible contribution of high-intensity exercise to acquired aortic dilatation, again, the concern, you know, just because you're a tall athlete, uh, you know, maybe there is a relationship to that, but there's a very non-linear relationship. So we should not attribute the enlarged aorta just purely to the height of the body surface area. And aortic dilatation as a compensatory mechanism is much less common or slower compared to myocardial remodeling in patients who are, um, who are athletes. So if you see an athlete with an enlarged aorta, you should always think about, you know, could this be something more than just, um, you know, an incidental finding? We should actively investigate those patients for possible inherited aortopathy. So any, any aortic dilatation, again, mild and, and onward, should trigger evaluation to determine whether there's an underlying aortopathy. And again, how do we assess that? You know, echo plus minus MRI or CTA, uh, surveillance interval, again, depending on what was the initial size, using that as a guide to the frequency of when do you when do you have them follow up or get imaged. So how about mild aortic dilatation? This has become a very common um, thing that we see these days, primarily because we do a lot of testing, you know, testing in the form of screening, calcium score screening or lung cancer screening, any number of those things. But those things also can happen in athletes as part of their screening. Um, and we could see very mild aortic dilatation, um, you know, between a two and two and a half of Z-score without underlying family history or any other known etiologies. But there is no clear data looking at competitive sports, and it comes down to case-by-case -case assessment. And if they're participating in sports, again, you have to follow them closely uh, with imaging, again, using, you know, echo or CTA or MRA. Uh, frequency imaging is, again, dependent on what is the initial size at which they were diagnosed and what is the stability of that upon follow-up. And you can continue them, continue to follow them even after their uh, sport participation is completed. So coming back to natural history, um, you know, whether this is an athlete or, or a non-athlete, it's really not very well-defined because we do not have prospective long-term studies looking at that. In addition to that, you know, knowing that you have a condition that could potentially be a problem in the future, more and more patients are opting to get operated now. And also the surgical risk 
has significantly come down with an elective, either valve sparing or valve replaced, um, um, you know, aortic root or ascending aortic replacement. So that's, again, changing the, the paradigm a little bit. If you look at all historical studies, the mean rate of growth is about, you know, 0.1 centimeters per year. Again, it depends on what is initial size. If you're at 4.9 centimeters and that 0.1 centimeter is like 5 centimeters the next year, how do you, how do you accept that and how do you use that in your decision making? And in general, if you look at the rate of growth, the descending aorta tends to get larger faster compared to an ascending aorta. And a dissected aorta enlarges faster than a non-dissected aorta. And a Marfan syndrome patient has a faster growth of the aorta compared to a non-Marfan patient. So this is one of the um, uh, studies looking at you know, size and its relationship to, um, to dissection or rupture. And one of the key things to keep in mind is that here, even, even if you look at you know, patients who are in the 3.5 to 3.9 or 4 to 4.9 centimeter group, the dissection risk and the rupture risk is not zero. It's still there. So if you look at the large IROD registry, there are a lot of patients who have had dissections at smaller sizes than either 5 centimeters or 5.5 centimeters. Although most of those are patients with underlying Marfan's or bicuspid aortic valves, I suspect there are a large number of patients there who also may have the heritable thoracic aortic disease kind of um, morphology that we have not, we've not really looked into. And so what's the risk of dissection in athletes, right? That's the concern most people have. Like if in a dilated aorta, people think it's a ticking time bomb that's ready to pop on me anytime, you know, how do I safely participate? So the interesting or important thing to keep in mind is, you know, there could be a trigger with competitive sports, particularly heavy weightlifting or strenuous exercise. Out of all the hundreds of dissection patients that I take care of post-dissection after their repair, I've only heard one patient telling me that he was powerlifting, and that's when he had the dissection. The vast majority of the patients either were resting or they were in their sleep. So it's not like it can happen just because you do exercise, but it could be a potential, again, potential trigger when you're doing some of these very strenuous exercises. Uh, and again, this is what I was previously alluding to in the error registry that, you know, 40% of type A dissections have happened less than five centimeters in diameter. So looking at the same thing um, at, um, you know, they took patients in the error registry who had less than 5.5 centimeters aortic size and looked at where was the location of the aortic dilatation in those patients. And they looked at aortic root diameters as well as the ascending aortic diameters. And 4.6 centimeters was the mean diameter of the aortic root when they dissected. And 4.8 centimeters was at the mid-ascending aorta. And the take-home message is that, you know, dissection can happen in smaller sizes. So this, again, has implications as we, you know, see patients or as we see athletes when they have dilatation um, in that range. And, you know, should we be doing more about that? So what are the studies in athletes with iotopathy? I just left the slide blank because there are no studies in patients with iotopathy. Um, so most of our you know, recommendations are all using this chart that has been probably going to be shown multiple times today. It's from the ACCHA 2015 guidelines looking at your increasing static component and increasing dynamic component with different types of exercise. And how does that come in the, in the evaluation of, a, of an athlete with iotopathy? So what are the goals with exercise in these patients? So what is the, you know, the main goal is to minimize the likelihood of hemodynamic stresses that could accelerate, again, potentially accelerate the aortic enlargement or precipitate acute aortic events. And the idea is to mitigate a large sudden increases in the mean arterial pressure that exceeds the rupture or dissection threshold of the aorta. And uh, the goal is to have no dramatic increase. Um, and resistance exercise is the only one that has shown can dramatically and acutely increase your systolic and diastolic pressure. 
So no, there's no clear-cut weight. Um, and that's, you know, sometimes, um, you know, that is the most common and the most frequently asked question in the clinic is, what is, what is it that can I do? What is it that can I do safely? And what is it that is potentially problematic? So there is no clear-cut weight or number recommended. Um, as a stress is highly variable, and each person's um, type of activity is very variable, and then the strength of the athlete, athlete is very variable. So general recommendation, which is which is most commonly what I do, and if I need more sophisticated recommendation, I send them to Thamana or to Michael, is to avoid heavy weight lifting, avoid using the Alsalva technique while lifting. So that's a very common, but if you have to go into the nitty-gritty of it when patients ask very specific questions, we have to be ready to answer them as much as we know. If we don't know, ask other experts in the area to, to answer that question. Uh, this is one of the things that most people talk about. I've, I've heard this mentioned is limit weightlifting to 50% of the body weight. Again, this was a paper that was published in 2010, and there's no data behind that. So it's not clearly validated. It's more a suggestion, much more so than, than a dictum to, to most of the patients. But for somebody who is a non-athlete, this does make sense that it's easier for them to think about that. So um, let's switch to what are the actual recommendations. So class three, competitive sports are not recommended in individuals who are at high risk. But also keep in mind that prior to engaging exercise, you, you really want to image them and also follow up on them to make sure that there is no significant change. Again, dynamic exercise should be considered much more suitable than static exercise. And participation in competitive or leisure time activities should be considered in low-risk individuals. Uh, but when you get to more... Um, you know, maybe you can continue with the individualized leisure exercise in patients with, um, with high-risk individuals. So this is how they classify them as low, intermediate, or high-risk with regards to um, aortopathies. So the patients who are at low risk are those with aortas less than 40 millimeters in bicuspid valve or tricuspid valve patients or a Turner syndrome patient without aortic dilatation. If we go to the, all the way to the other side is patients who have severe aortic dilatation, such as more than 45 millimeters in Marfan syndrome or in other heritable thoracic aortic diseases, more than 50 millimeters in bicuspid or tricuspid valve, or if you have an aortic size index of more than 25 millimeters per square centimeter in Turner patient, or a technology fellow patient who have a high predisposition for aortic root dilatation. And if you have any after surgery, you can do it after, high risk is after surgery with sequela. Like if you have an underlying Marfan syndrome on a bicuspid valve patient, if you have had surgery, depending on where the location of that, in general, they still have a significantly higher risk for having dissection. So in those patients, sports are, are um, you know, contraindicated. Again, this is what comes back to the guidelines, updates, and all of that is, you know, the importance of shared decision-making would be, would be very important to consider in those patients. So what is the timing of surgical repair? Um, you know, case-by-case -case basis, again, this is very highly, highly individualized um, to each patient. But in general, patients with no additional risk factors, um, the recommendation, the current recommendation is um, more than 5.5 centimeters. I'm going to briefly touch upon one of the imaging characteristics that we have studied here looking at aortic cross-section area index. Um, and then in patients with genetic, underlying genetic conditions, you know, more than 4.5 centimeters is typically um, suggested um, as a recommendation or guide criteria for surgery. So one of the recommendations from our aortic group here with Dr. Desai and Dr. Svensson looking at what is the optimal technique that we can use? And I think that's where the aortic cross-sectional area index has had a good bit of data looking at both bicuspid as well as tricuspid valve patients. Um, that can help more fine-tune your decision-making. Looking at a cross-sectional area index of more than 10 square centimeters per meter, it's been shown to correlate with higher rates of death. So you could use that to provide improved stratification or timing of your surgery. Um, and again, you know, sometimes if you go purely by the diameter of five centimeters or four and a half centimeters, you're not taking into account the patient's height. I think we're probably moving away from using body surface area as much, 
with the differences in weights between, um, you know, between visits and how much that could potentially change your aortic size index, I think probably relying on height, which is much more of a static measurement when you get to a certain age as an adult. So what are the exercise recommendations after aortic repair? And there's no prospective data available with regards to this. But what are the recommendations depending on what is the cause of the aortic dilatation? So if you have a residual unrepaired aorta with uh, known aortopathy is just preventing on, is focused on preventing progression. With no known aortopathy, then you can liberalize the recommendations by cuspid. You can do a surgery. And I think more, more importantly, if you have a high contact sports, the concern may be more not as much with, with the aortic repair itself, perhaps it's more sternotomy. So this is looking at um, endurance exercises, low risk in um, bicuspid aortic valve patients after they had an ascending aortic aneurysm resection. Small study, 20 individuals, mean age of 53. Um, the size of the aorta before surgery was about five centimeters and post was about 3.3 centimeters after follow-up in five years in 12 of the participants. It's a fairly small study that you could potentially consider endurance exercise in patients after repair uh, in bicuspid valve patients, particularly with ascending aortic um, replacement. So um, most important recommendations is incorporate an active lifestyle with consistent aerobic exercise. Um, that has a significant benefit with achieving ideal blood pressure and reducing overall cardiovascular risk, improves the, the peak oxygen consumption workload. Again, their decision-making approach is the key. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen at clevelandclinic.org slash cardiac consult podcast.